0: these uh, interesting times. Um, What a day between the uh, great blizzard that we're expecting and it's also Valentine's Day and so this is a day of love when we uh, when we talk about love and we think about love and there are hearts everywhere in every store you go in because it's a big deal. Now before we get into too much here um, I, I want to remind you that next week is our baby dedication Sunday. And uh, this is an opportunity when uh, people, couples that, uh, families that have a young child um, publicly dedicate that child to the Lord. Um, and they and our church come together to bless those children and to commit to one another. That, that we will partner in being a community to raise that child together. It's a great Sunday. Um, I hope you can uh, make plans to be here either physically or digitally next Sunday for Baby Dedication Sunday. Now, elevators are weird things, aren't they? And, and here's what I mean. Before COVID, before all this happened, elevators, even then they were weird. And, and here's what I mean. You know, we wait on this elevator and then, and then we, we cram ourselves in here into this little metal box, right? And, and we all stand and we don't want to touch anybody else and, and we don't talk. You don't talk in an elevator. You know, you, you can see two people walking in, in an elevator, they will be in heated conversation. They get in the elevator and they stop. And we all just stand there and we stare at the numbers. One. Because you don't talk, you don't look at anybody else You don't. A while back I was getting on an elevator And uh, I'm waiting for it, the door's open and, and it's like that picture, it's crammed full of people And those poor people in the front are giving me that pitiful look Please tell me you're not about to try to squeeze in here But I was because I had somewhere to be And so I squeeze into it Now it's so tight with all of us that I can't even turn around and face the numbers like everybody else So I'm facing all of them And they're all looking at the numbers and casting little side-eye glances at me, trying not to look at me, but they're like, what is this guy doing? And so finally, to break the ice, I go, I'm sure you're wondering why I called this meeting today. And everybody just laughs. And it was amazing, though, because at that moment, the ice broke. Conversations started up among people. People started talking to one another. And and all of a sudden, we became a a little micro-community right there because... The ice had broken. See, we're made for relationship we as human beings are, are made to live in relationship we can't we can't help it it's it's who we are we were created to be in relationship with God and then as we were created God said it's not good for you to be alone you're made to be in a relationship and so the the Bible tells the story of those relationships the Bible is a book of relationships it's basically telling the story of the relationship between God and humankind but in that story, there are a number of other relationships that, that serve to advance that narrative alone. But the, the main thing, one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that we are made to be in relationships. This morning, I want to talk to you about marriage. And I don't want you to unplug or turn me off. If you're, uh, if you're single or, or divorced or unwed or status, it's complicated, whatever, it just Stay with us, because I think these truths are applicable to relationships in your life, whether you're married or not. But this morning, we want to talk about marriage a little bit. The Bible begins with the first wedding of Adam and Eve, and the Bible ends at the great marriage feast of the Lamb, and and everything in between. God created marriage. Marriage was instituted by God. This is God's idea. And, and God's idea for a man and a woman to come together has been since the beginning. Now, what God institutes, we also w- would believe that He regulates. If, if God created and invented marriage, then those of us who enter into it, we should make every effort to figure out what God had in mind. What's the purpose? Why are we getting married? What, what is marriage? Is it, is it worth all the trouble? What's the point of getting married? You know, there are a lot of the younger generation now who are asking those questions and and seriously contemplating, is it worth it for me even to get married? Is it worth it for us even to get married? Is there a reason for us to get married? And they're asking the question, what is marriage? Now, you say, that's not a hard question, Jeff. We, We get married because we love each other and we want to be together forever and live happily ever after. And and that's why God instituted marriage. Now, is it really? Is it really? Because regardless of what culture tells you, you're not marrying Mr. or Mrs. Wright. You're 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 well in generations past there was far less talk about compatibility and, and soulmates. Than there is now. Today, we're looking for someone who accepts me as I am, but who is fulfilling all of my wants, needs, and desires. And and this creates an unrealistic set of expectations both on the searcher and the searched for. And and as we talked about a few weeks ago uh, when we started this, the, the fact that no one can meet those that, that, that this, this one true love that we're looking for can never fulfill all those needs. John Tierney wrote an article called Picky Picky, and, and he recounts many of the reasons his single friends have given him that they had given up on their relationships. Things like, how could I take him seriously after seeing The Road Less Traveled on his bookshelf? Or, if she would just lose seven pounds. Or, sure, he's a partner, but it's not a big firm, and he wears those short black socks. Or, well, it started out great, beautiful face, great body, nice smile, everything was going fine, until she turned around. He paused ominously and shook his head. She had dirty elbows. These are real things, real reasons that people gave up on relationships. Some people in our culture want too much from a marriage partner. And those unrealistic expectations cause our marriages to fail. Instead of seeing marriage as two flawed people coming together to create a space of stability and love, instead we're looking for someone who is, is perfect themselves but accepts all my imperfections. This would require a, a, a woman who is a, a, a novelist, astronaut, magician. Uh, and, and, and who is uh, uh, capable of with a background in fashion modeling and, and, and who is perfect in every way or, or the equivalent in, in a man. In, in marriage counseling, I've spoken to a lot of couples, some working on their marriage, some uh, preparing to get married, um, some trying to save their marriage. And, and I've heard them say over and over this phrase, love shouldn't be this hard. Should it? Shouldn't it come naturally? Now, in response, I always say something like, why? Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that, that someone would want to play professional baseball and say, it shouldn't be this hard to hit a curveball, should it? Or, or would someone who wants to write the great American novel uh, say, it, it shouldn't be this hard to create believable characters and compelling narrative. And, and the retort is always, yeah, but this is not baseball or literature. This is love. Love should just come naturally if people are truly soulmates. The best answer to this is written by Duke University Ethics Professor Stanley Arwas, who famously made this point. Let me read you this quote. Destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment, necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. The moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. Think about that for a minute. We always marry the wrong person. Let me tell you what he means by that. He's going to go on in his book and talk about this, but Arwa says we never really know the person we marry. Because truthfully, it's impossible for us to know everything about someone, no matter how long you've been dating. That comes over time, and that comes over a, a, an era of openness and vulnerability. When you're first getting married, you don't know everything about that. Whether it's because you haven't been together that long, or because they're still on their best behavior. You never know everything about that person. We just think we do. And, and Even if we do marry the right person, and let's say you beat the odds and you do know everything about this person, part of living, part of growing is that that person is going to change, and it means that they're not going to be the same person that you entered into this marriage with. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for this other person with whom you are married. So. Aros gives us the first reason that, that no two people are compatible for marriage because marriage profoundly changes who we are. But there is another reason. Any two people who enter into marriage are, are broken by sin, which among other things, according to the Bible, means that we are self-centered, that I'm worried about my needs and my wants, Why should neurotic, selfish, immature people suddenly become angels when they fall in love? Well, they don't. That's why a good marriage is painfully more difficult than athletic or artistic prowess. Raw natural talent doesn't enable a baseball player to be a professional ball player. Or raw natural talent doesn't enable someone to write great literature without enduring discipline and enormous amounts of work. So why would it be any different to to live lovingly well with another human being in light of what's profoundly wrong with our own human nature? Many people who've mastered athletics and art fail miserably at marriage. So the biblical doctrine of sin explains why marriage, more than anything else, is so difficult. The reason that marriage is so painful yet wonderful is because it's a reflection, the Bible says, of the gospel. Marriage is a reflection of the gospel because the gospel itself is both painful and wonderful all at once. The gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever admit. And at the very same time, even though we are that sinful and flawed... The love of God accepted us in Jesus Christ, and He loved us more than we could ever dare hope. That's the only kind of relationship that's ever going to truly transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality. And and it's nice, it it supports and affirms us, but but it it lives in denial of, of our flaws and of our own failures. Now truth without love is just harsh and and so it gives us information but but not in a way that we can really hear. God's saving love in Christ is marked by both radical love and truthfulness about who we are and an unconditional commitment to love us. The, The hard times of marriage drive us to experience more of this transforming love of God. A good marriage will will also be a place where, where we experience more of this transforming love at a human level. When God instituted marriage, He didn't have your personal happiness, your desires, or even your sexual fulfillment in mind. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that the great mystery of marriage is that it is a reflection of the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So if God had the gospel of Jesus' salvation in mind when he established marriage, then marriage only works to the degree that it approximates the pattern of God's selfless, self-giving love in Jesus Christ that means that marriage is not about me. That means that marriage is is not about you. It's not about your needs or my needs or our wants or our needs. It's also not even about your partner. It's not about whether he or she provides for your needs or lives up to your expectations. The the idea of marriage is that it's about something greater than either of us. In that same passage uh, of marriage, Paul's going to to begin that treatise on marriage with the idea of mutual submission. The the Christian teaching about marriage doesn't offer a a choice between fulfillment and sacrifice. Instead, it offers uh, this idea of mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in verse 21. That's how he begins this whole passage. The, The gospel is that we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Only in Christ, only in that gospel of the love of God manifested in Christ can we find a true definition of love. So, I only discover my own true happiness after I have put the happiness of my spouse ahead of my own. In response... To what Jesus has done for me. So if if I decide to work on my selfishness and, and minister to the other, the prospects of my marriage are pretty good. If both of you decide to work on our own selfishness and minister to the needs of the others, the prospects for your marriage are great. There is this emotional high that comes to us when someone thinks we're wonderful and beautiful and, and, and it's part of what fuels that passion and electricity of, of falling in love. The problem is, and, and we may be subconsciously aware of this, but that person doesn't really know me. That person doesn't really know everything about me. And and when you think of us being head over heels in love, in, in large part, it is a, is a gust of ego gratification. There's nothing like... Being uh, the the profound satisfaction of being known and loved. But to be known, to be loved but not known, is, is comforting but superficial. To be known but not loved is kind of our greatest fear. And so that means in my marriage, for me to truly be known, for me to truly be connected to this other person, I have to be open, I have to be vulnerable. I have to let them see the parts of me that no one else gets to see. I have to uh, not simply live showing this best version of myself that I put on in dating, but I have to let them see the real parts, the unlovely parts, the unlovable, I think, parts sometimes. Because until I can open up and let them know me, I can't be fully known. Conversely, it means that I have to love all of them. Even those real unlovely parts that they're not really proud of. Because if my partner is fully known and fully loved, it's the truest form of relationship that I can attain. So we say to ourselves something like this. When when Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think, I'm going to give myself to you because you're so attractive to me. No. He was in agony. He, He was dying. And he said what? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He loved us not because we were lovely to him, but because he was going to make us lovely. So I'm going to say to myself, that's why I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to speak to my heart. And, I, and, and what I'm going to say is, I'm going to love my spouse the way Christ loved the church. When What the Christian vision of marriage means is, is, is here's what it means to fall in love. It's, it's to look at another person and to get a glimpse of the person God is creating. To look at that person and not see all the faults and the failures, but to look at them with eyes like Christ and see where Jesus is taking them in their walk. And to be able to say, I see who God is making you to be, and I want to be part of that. When we turn marriage into this idol of happiness that that somehow is going to magically fix me, It only serves to despise and disappoint. If we ask a different question, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Now, This question alone has caused lots of couples to to reconsider their expectations and start asking questions that that lead to health and lead to intimacy instead of despair and accusation. How is God shaping my soul while teaching me to love my spouse? How does marriage confront my own selfishness, my own sinfulness, and, and help me grow in the character of Christ? How does marriage teach me to listen instead of shout? How does marriage teach me to be gentle instead of hard? harsh when my spouse lets me down because it ultimately isn't your spouse who is exposing the sinfulness of your heart. It's marriage. Marriage doesn't so much bring us into confrontation with my spouse. It brings me into confrontation with myself. Marriage shows me a a, a realistic, unflattering picture of who I am. And it takes me by the scruff of the neck and makes me look at it whether I want to or not. It's like we're teabags, right? It's like we're teabags. And and teabags are all nice and clean until they're put in hot water. And for a lot of us, the hot water of marriage brings out a lot of the things inside of us that we've been trying to hide. But the great thing about this Christian model of marriage is that when you envision the someone better, you can think of the future version of the person to whom you're already married. That someone better is the spouse that you have, but the spouse that they are becoming through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ. Paul will say that our marriages are small pictures of the mystery of the gospel, that Jesus saw someone better when He looked at us. Instead of seeing the dirty, sinful, frail, feeble creatures that we are, He saw the beauty of our true, whole, pure, and blameless selves that would be to come. Paul's going to say in verse 25 and 27 of, of chapter 5 of Ephesians, Christ gave Himself up for her, that's the church, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present herself to, her to Himself, as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This morning, our marriage, our marriages are not struggling because we're incompatible. Our marriages are not unfulfilling because he or she does something or doesn't do something that you think he or she should do. Our marriages are struggling because we're frail, sinful feeble creatures in need of a savior if you haven't become a christian this morning i'm going to submit to you that there is no greater gift of love you can give on valentine's day than to proclaim jesus as your savior that then to truly fully and humbly acknowledge your own inadequacies your failures your inability and to publicly proclaim that i'm going to repent I'm going to turn and go in a different direction. And to signify that, I'm going to submit to Christ by being immersed, by being buried in the waters of baptism, raised in a new life. And the Bible says then you're not trying to fight this battle on your own anymore. Instead, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes to give life to your mortal body. When you make Christ the foundation of your relationship, when you make Jesus the foundation of your marriage, Only then can you truly appreciate the beauty of what the relationship is truly meant to be. Our marriages are are about making us holy are about making us in the image of Jesus Christ. And if we look at them that way, then all of a sudden they're not disposable things that are, are based on my whim or my feeling. But instead it's something divine created by the creator of the universe to draw me closer to him. If we can help you this morning, I encourage you to submit something. Uh, Send us a message. Send us an email. Send us a Facebook message. However, we can help you. We would love to pray for you. We would love to, to help you find your Lord and Savior, to help you come to Jesus and to be buried with Him in baptism. And, and we would love to help you find that, and we would love to talk to you, set up a time to do that. Send us a message through, through whatever medium you're watching on, send us an email, sit, get in touch with us and allow us to help you. This morning, if we can do anything for you, I ask you to, to, to respond to that right now as we sing this song.